welcome to the Human Everywhere podcast. I'm Jason Bott, one of your hosts. Human Everywhere is a production of Deep Space Predictive Research Group. Deep Space Predictive Research Group was founded by Lyris Allman, myself, and Ubi Simieri. What Human Everywhere asks us to do is to consider what it means to truly be human wherever we go, not just here on Earth, but as we travel into space. Over the last several years, we have seen more and more people entering into space to work, to travel, and we know that in the near future, to live. And so we ask ourselves to consider, what does it mean to truly be human in space, in all of our expressions, in all of that lived experience? Today, we have an amazing guest, but to introduce her, I'm going to turn it over to Ubi Simieri. Hello, hello. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, it's great to be back. Um, I'm Ubi or Ubaldo Simieri. Uh, I'm an Italian name via Kansas, via Argentina. You know, it's what it's, we're all a mix of stuff. So that's what brings me here. But uh, <laughs> thank you for being here. We are very excited today to continue the conversation about what it means to be human, you know, and in space. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet our guest, Chili Bergstrom, a year, a little over a year ago in Paris at the International Astronautics Conference, uh, IAC. And I was just so fascinated by her story and all the work that she's been doing in the space industry. And so uh, I'm going to, Chili, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of introduce yourself um, and then we'll just dive in if that's cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome. So yeah, tell us, Chili, tell us a little bit about you and your, your, your background, how you got into space, all that sort of thing. Sure. So I have always loved space and the cosmos ever since I was very young. And when I was eight, I started taking, I started having an interest in uh, the MIT Air Space Engineering classes. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've always had a love for space, even starting then when I was eight years old. Um, I took class after class. And then when I was 10, I was formally invited to be, uh, to go to MIT full time. So when I was 12, I accepted and moved and he gave us and gave my presentation at MIT. And I've done many other things in my life and I'm very happy to be here. Well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, so you're, you're young. I mean, you're, how old are you now? Can 16. I ask that question? 16. And you are neurodivergent. Would you yes. classify, is that correct? Yes. Thank so, you. uh, you know, you've, you've worked on a lot of projects. You've done a lot of things. You've talked a lot about, um, people with different abilities, people with disabilities and, and what that can mean for space. So talk about that. Like what, what's some of the work that you've done and, and why? Why is that important for us to explore? Yes. So it's very important to have equal access for space for all. Yeah. Because if you just have a certain type of person going to space, you don't have the outlook that different people from different backgrounds have. My main work is finding disabilities that can be hyper abilities in space. So a disability like cerebral palsy, where your muscles are constantly firing, means that you will be better equipped for space because you don't have to exercise as much. 
Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. See, that's fascinating. So, um, okay. Yeah. What are some other examples? Cause that's really interesting. Uh, people with high blood pressure are more adaptive in space because your blood pressure lowers. There is this example that I give that if you had to choose between uh, a overweight person and Usain Bolt on a six month mission to Mars, most people would choose Usain Bolt, but he would actually be dead in a matter of days because his resting heart rate and blood pressure are so low that he would be, he, that he could not survive in space. Wow, I mean, I had no, like that just blows my mind. I had not thought about that. And I think uh, that's what's really interesting about these conversations because, you know, as we get closer and closer to having a more significant presence in space as human, as human beings, right? As humanity, um, we have to take all those things into consideration, you know, like that's, so talk about uh, your, you did some work recently, or you've been working with the ESA, right? To, well, tell us a little bit about that work. Sure. So the, the ESA, in 2022 has announced, the 2022 announced the uh, allowment of disabled astronauts into their astronaut program. Fascinating. So disabled astronauts, with some exceptions, with some caveats, obviously, can go to space. The criteria are either you have a loss of a limb, uh, you're blind, or some other things that there's a, there's a list of them mm -hmm. but I think it doesn't go far enough because these are disabilities that are obvious to some but there's a lot more disabilities that can be hyper abilities in space like yeah give some examples because are you talking more about disabilities that are less seen less mm -hmm. visible is that what you're talking about yeah um people with neurological um neurotypes, different neurotypes, uh, might be better suited for six month or even longer missions to Mars mm -hmm. because of their, um, they're not as much, they don't have as much need for human connection. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And it's, you know, we, we were talking earlier before we hit record about uh, the, the application process. And so, uh, the ESA, European Space Agency. So you, you were helping to move that application, that allowance for different types of people forward. What's sort of the next step for you? Like how, what's, what's the next phase in, your, in your, your plan to help more people with disabilities reach space? The big thing now is changing the ESA's guidelines even further because they yeah. only include a handful of disabilities. There are dozens and dozens more that I know that can be helpful in space and hundreds that we've not even thought about yet. So the main goal I'm doing is finding those disabilities that will be help more helpful in space and changing the ESA's guidelines. How do you go about doing that? Like, what, what is your research process? Um, uh, talking to physicians, doctors, medical researchers, and um, scientists about the effects of the human body in space and different disabilities effects and how some effects with disabilities can help in space. It's hmm. incredible. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, it's, it's 
going back to kind of what you said about space for all, you know, I think it, it's going to take all of us, right? I mean, there, there's currently sort of this disconnect between 800 billion whatever people on earth and, and the small group or percentage of people who are actually doing any kind of work in space or for space. Um, what are, do you have any thoughts on how, how, how do we connect that, that message, right? Like that, that humanity, all of us, like it's going to take all of us to make this a reality. So how do you, how would you go about changing the conversation? Well, that starts with the next generation. In order to achieve the idea that everyone can work in space and everyone can help space, we need to teach the younger generation that their voice matters. Did someone do that for you? A lot of people did that for me. I was very yeah. fortunate in having a lot of mentors in my life that were able to teach me and show me what I wanted to learn. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's there. Ha- there's there's got to be sort of this this um, guiding force from some you know these older generations to let younger generations know that it's a, that yes, we we want you to be a part of this. You know, I think that you know we talked a little bit about there's sort of this elitist mentality of who can go to space now, right? Like and and oftentimes it's defined as sort of this, the right stuff, you know, the, um, but I don't think that's sustainable. Right. And, and Jason, you know, I think we've talked about this. It's, we've um, sort of assigned sort of this godlike nature to this current group of astronauts, uh, which I think has done maybe a little bit of harm in what we're trying to accomplish here and what we're talking about here. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, from, you know, multiple conversations we've, but it, but it goes all the way back. Sorry, not to cut my sense halfway. It goes all the way back to the initial um, call out for the astronauts. And it fed into this seemingly weird belief of a more perfect human that you know, even though we're supposedly all equal, but when you have movies coming out called the right stuff, then that means there are people that have the wrong stuff. And now we've moved into a point of judgment and qualification, but then that became so ingrained into our culture. The idea was that if you are an astronaut, you have the right stuff. There's something automatically inherently already determined you are approved you are a notch above the rest of us and they're elevated up to a heroic point but in a way it almost evolves the rest of us as humans and it immediately pre-selects out anyone who doesn't fit in that perfect model specific you know specific body you've got to be perfect you got to have all this you can't have any variations and all that um, you know, so I, I think what, you know, Chile, what your work is doing is very pragmatically re, redressing that myth and asking us to remind ourselves, really, 
it's humans in space. It's not the right humans in space. All of us deserve a place to be there. And not just these heroic Hercules and Adonises, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to kind of switch back and I'm just curious. Okay. I, I, I'd like to get a little bit more of just speculation. I don't think there's a right answer here, but um, I'm a huge science fiction geek. And some of the stuff you talked about reminded me of something that came out in a book a while back ago um, by a friend of mine by the name of David Brin. David Brin, great science fiction writer, wrote the book called Existence. Um, and existence is in it. He postulates that autism is not to be looked at as a um, disability, but that instead that autism can be seen as an evolutionary leap forward, establishing and setting people up for better engagement with our rapidly evolving technological world. So he projects 100 years in the future. It's interesting that what you're talking about here is that we need to reframe ourselves that all of these things that we often see is, like you said, disabilities, in a way, they're setting ourselves up for success in the new frontier. You know, I, I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts, if you've, you know, anything on that, you know, from your perspective. Sure. So. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I don't know if autism is the next evolutionary step or if it is um, a disability, which I don't believe it's a disability. I believe it's a different neurotype yeah. uh, because I believe there are certain neurotypes that people have. Um, but I think that I do believe that the future humans that will be evolving will be into these certain roles, will be into these certain disabilities and they will become the norm rather than the exception. Mm. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I, I really, I think that, I think that is a key thing for us to, I mean, going back to what our whole thing was about was human everywhere. You know, I, it's almost to the point where I almost wish we could put in brackets, the front of our title, all humans everywhere. Like it has to be a reminder that for us to be human, that word human encompasses the entire breadth the entire depth of all human experience um and and i worry that when it comes to space right now space seems to be very self-selective of you either got to be an you know a brainiac a rocket scientist or a billionaire or some great specimen of physical you know prowess and if you're not that then you just don't qualify. And in a way it is reminding us, oh, well, you're not human. No, 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 we're human, all human, yeah. Okay, I've done with my interlude. I just really <laughs> no, love, that's good. I, I just, it's remarkable. You've really opened my mind up as I'm hearing this chili. I mean, I read some of your stuff, but to hear you talk about it is really extraordinary. And I love the way that you frame it as hyperability. Um, the fact that some of the things that which are negative here or at least are challenging here, maybe challenging. I should change the language that are challenging here, become benefits there. And that's what we need to begin encouraging people to see. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it yeah, I think it, all of that needs to be 
a standard part of uh, our research and exploration of um, how we can help sort of the first settlers, if you will, or the first human beings to really go and live in space, um, to how we help them to survive and, and thrive. I mean, it, it, it's, we need those multiple perspectives. I know we've talked about different mythologies, different religions, right? Different cultures, but I don't know that we've talked enough about different types of humans. There are different types of humans who all have different perspectives and different abilities. And uh, some people are just better at others with dealing with the unknown. And, and you know, to your point about autism, Jason, and, and Chile, we were talking about this, like, you know, that, that there's that because that's going to be one of the biggest things is experiencing something no other human being has ever experienced before. Like that is just mentally daunting, right? And so who, you know, what are the right abilities that humans need to have in order to safely navigate um, those sorts of things? So yeah, it's really just quite fascinating. Where where are you actually with um, your research, you know, like what, um, what sort of next step now, like the ESA has sort of taken this big step to allow people with disabilities to apply. Then, um, are you, what about in the U S are you working with NASA? Are you working with some of the independent launch, you know, or blue origin yes. or axiom? Like, what are you doing with them? I think it's very important that we should follow what the ESA has done and yeah. not just follow it, but do better because there's always room for improvement and there is a lot of room for improvement when it comes to this. Right. I really want to push for NASA and other private space companies to be able to allow disabled astronauts to go to space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, we, um, uh, we should introduce you to a friend of ours, Adam. He, he's a body movement expert. We actually mm -hmm. interviewed him the first episode for this season. Um, but it's really quite fascinating. He's been a circus performer for decades, and um, but he's sort of studying how to move better in in space. And I think there's just such an interesting crossover here, just from a movement perspective, right? Because um, you know I've heard that people like on, even on parabolic flights, the, the moment you lose gravity, is your body doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. It just sort of shuts down, <laughs> and so because uh, it, it, and it just sort of reboots. So what, what are some different abilities that people have that um, can make that transition less harsh, maybe? Um, um, people, people that I believe it was can't hear well or have mm. issues with balance, um, when you go into zero gravity and you go into space, those issues can be solved. Oh, interesting. I think space can sometimes be a cure for some disabilities. Yeah, so they'll be able to to thrive in space mm -hmm. once you take them and put them into that different environment. Exactly. So isn't that interesting? So then, I mean, that gets into a whole conversation about, um, I think why more humans should get the chance to go because like you just said, in this case, I mean, there are people who could live a better life there. Would you oh, agree? Of course. Yeah. So how do you, okay. So let's take this a step further then. And, and, Talk about like architecting moon villages, for example. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on how, how to 
who needs to be at the table discussing that? Everyone, honestly, it has to be, <laughs> yeah. it has to be thousands and tens of thousands of people developing this. Just how the moon landings were done by hundreds of thousands of people. There needs mm. to be a collaborative global effort on this because if you don't have everyone's voice, then you have no voice. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, that's super interesting. Well, so uh, what are you, I know you said you were taking time off of school. So what are you, mm -hmm. what, like, what's your focus personally? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do right now just for yourself? I'm, I'm trying, I guess what I'm doing is taking a break from the work that I've done. Yeah. But also going into new avenues and new projects that I'm working on. Can you talk about some of those? Uh, sure. I'm, I mean, I started like a regular job is one of the things in my life that I've done. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the space industry, I think new avenues in research um, and policy is the two big things that need to be done. Oh, interesting. So policy wise, like uh, like specifically what? Like um, I know you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, more, ESA, but more funding for NASA. OK, is a big one that a lot of people don't realize, like. GPS, as it was invented by NASA, um, a lot of things have been invented by NASA that we use every day. Yeah. So when people say, oh, we don't need funding for NASA, it, we need to improve things here on Earth, NASA will improve things here on Earth more than any other company, any other industry. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's a great point. So who do you, when you're, when you're seeking out that kind of, or when you're you know, pushing for more funding, what are some of the best ways you've found to do that? I'm still working on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's very challenging when it comes to policy and politics, um, yeah. especially when I am a scientist. I look at objective facts and not what will do best for the next election outcome in five years or something. Right. Um, so it's weird working with that, but it's very important to do that because we need improvements in space soon yeah absolutely what um what do you as we kind of you know i think close out because i i just i mean everything you've said has been just so impactful and i think it's changed our perspectives in such a great way um what do you want to go to space i asked you this before we hit record but like what, what are your thoughts on that i think i do yeah because if I don't go to space, then who else with my voice will go to space? My voice is my voice. Yeah. So if I don't use it, then no one else will speak for me. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, what what else is there? Uh, anything that you want to talk like promote that you're that you have got going on right now that you want other people to see? to help get your voice out there more? Sure, my LinkedIn is my name, Chili Bergstrom uh, okay. on LinkedIn. I post a decent amount on there and uh, chose the work that I'm doing, the advocacy that I'm doing and how we can, and I promote other people on there and how we can make space for all. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Chili, it's great to see you again. Thank you, um, really like, you know, we're going to try everything to help you get your voice out there because 
you know, it's just, it's really important. And it's a, it's a different perspective that um, I think a lot of people don't think about. And um, we need to start thinking about it now because it's, it's going to make a big difference. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Jason, you want to send us home? I will. So this is uh, Jason. I've been joined by Ubi and Chili. And we want to thank everyone for joining us today at the Human Everywhere podcast. Again, a production of Deep Space Predictive Research Group. Normally with us is our founder, Aliris Olin, but she was unable to be with us. You can find out more about Deep Space Predictive at deepspacepredictive.com, um, as well as getting all of our back episodes of the Human Everywhere podcast. Thank you, everyone.